ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. 
Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Uh, but it's going to be a fun time. We're going to have a good time here at Mutiny Radio. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I hope you guys all stick around for the 8 o'clock hour when Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse flies off the rails tonight, you guys. It's a great Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse. Co- comedians curated just for you. Uh, just so you guys know, the best set of happy hour gets a guest set. Best set gets a guest set on Pamtastics. Tonight's headliner, the fabulous Steve Poggi. Uh, also, we're going to have Dan Myers, Jesse Fernandez, Chris Nasco. Good-looking guys, guys. It's going to be, you really should stick around for Pamtastics Comedy Clubhouse. But right now, uh, we are going to get started with the happy hour, the, the happiest of hours. Uh, I got to say, I saved four beers all day, you guys. This is miraculous. I brought four beers from my house this morning, and I haven't even cracked one yet. Does anybody realize how hard I worked today? No one gives a fuck. It's okay. But now I'm going to get drunk because I also haven't eaten a goddamn thing. So those four beers, at the end of this, I'm going to be tossed. I'm going to be done. Deep fry me. This is so sweet. They're offering me waffle bars and power aids. Just, it's all, it's wonderful times. Oh, no goldfish for me, thanks. I'll eat at some point. I'll eat at some point. No life goldfish. Um, I haven't even sound checked because I was under the impression that I was going to have a, a, a trainee Trina here tonight, but she, she didn't, she didn't come and it's okay. So I'll just sound check with the first comedian uh, who, he's a really nice guy and uh, I know who he is now. <laughs> Put your hands together, everybody. It's Connor Doherty. This one? This one? Can you hear it? Yes. Wonderful. Pam does know who I am, even before the beers. Uh, happy Friday, you guys. It's Friday, so I was thinking about weed today. And I was thinking about how it's becoming so easy to get, like especially in San Francisco. You know, In San Francisco, we're essentially post-weed scarcity. Even if you don't have any and you don't have any money, like you just walk up to walk up to the right guy in the park and offer him some magic beans, he'll help you out. But I was thinking, like I'm mostly in favor of this, but I grew up in Minnesota, where it's a little bit harder to get, especially growing up when you're just a kid, you know, you gotta talk to like real drug dealers and stuff, or like have friends who can talk to drug dealers. And so the thing I was thinking about is like, it gets so easy to have weed, it's basically legal now, at least out here. It's like I feel like kids are not going to understand what it's like when you're running out, you know, those sort of like the bottom of the bag situations where you're just throwing the shake in the bottom, ripping a pile of keef. Kids will never understand that. They'll never know the joys of the resin hit. You know, one guy knows what a resin hit is. Raise your hand if you know what a resin hit is. Fuck yeah, I know what a resin hit is. Fuck yeah, Pam. That's what I'm, but that's what I'm saying. You guys know because you've you've run out of weed at some point, right? That's what that that's what I'm saying. That's what the bit's about, Pam. That's what the bit is about. I'm just worried that the kids are gonna start taking it for granted. I'm not that worried about it. 
Uh, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, I got my new Spy Dads bit. Uh, yeah. Pam's heard it. Thanks. So you, you know there are all these spies that work for like the CIA or the Department of Defense or whatever. They like torture guys, you know, run secret prisons, stuff like that. Just give me a nod. Like you know they exist you or you believe they exist. You've seen the Bourne identity and all the other Bourne stuff. But the thing is, like, that career has to end at some point. You can only be a young killer for so long. Eventually, you just get older. And I'm just going to assume they're all dudes. I don't mean to be sexist about it, but I feel like state-sanctioned murder is usually carried out by men. But they get older, and they can't be spies anymore. They can't run secret prisons. Then they're just middle-aged dudes. They're like spy dads. <laughs> there we go. That hit with one dude. But you know that movie Spy Kids? Yeah. Like, why can't we make one Spy Dads? Like, you know, get Adam Sandler, Kevin James, his like middle-aged former spies, David Spade. I feel like David Spade would be like the guy who he, you know, like he used to torture people, but he doesn't anymore, but he's still like kind of in the habit of it. So there'll be a shot early in the movie where you're like looking down a staircase, he's in his basement. His wife's like, David, what are you doing? And he's like, Nothing. Setting up his torture device. Oh, they didn't like that one. <laughs> Wonderful. Someone liked it. Uh, all right. Yeah, but like, I mean, the movie basically just writes itself, right? Like, Kevin James could be the computer hacker, but like, now his biggest problem is his wife keeps finding his porn. And like, Adam Sandler used to be an assassin, but now he just has. PTSD flashbacks, I don't know. <laughs> if any of you are producers, I can write this thing. I can crank this script out in no time. Yeah, that's Spy Dads. Um, <laughs> I think I'm gonna end it there. I mean, I'm not gonna get much better than that, right? Like, I, like you know it's a good bit when it can get optioned into a film. So, it's Friday night, weed, Spy Dads, that's it. I'm Connor Doherty, thank you for listening. <laughs> Um, I'm shoving food into my face. I'm not supposed to do this in the booth, but I'm doing it anyways. Thanks to Tess Berry, this falafel is delightful. I'm almost done with it. Because it's the first sustenance I put in my mouth. Long time. All right. Uh, next comedian, that was Connor Doherty. Very funny stuff. Thanks for opening us up. Second comedian here on Happy Hour. Oh, thanks for Trina for being here, too. She's uh, learning the ones and twos, doing her thing. Um... Oh, we're a second comedian. Very funny guy. We love it every time he's here. Put your hands together. Everyone, it's Roman Leo. Hey, this is great. So happy to see you. Is this the microphone I'm supposed to talk into? Um, so good to be here, you guys. A crackhead outdoors just said I look like a youthful Vietnam vet. Yeah. <laughs> Teenager. Teenager. You know, and then he... Went off to uh, find some crack in a parking meter. It was uh, it was quite an experience. Um, hmm. I'm uh, I'm 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 just I'm still overwhelmed just by the fact that you guys applauded so enthusiastically. I think you guys I like your enthusiasm. I think you guys could go far as a crowd. Just uh, yeah. I learned recently that uh, California is home to a third of the nation's chronically homeless. Welcome, sir. And. Uh, but we only have 10% of the population of the United States. So. 
Yeah, a third of the nation's chronically homeless. I was thinking maybe we could build a wall around California that would have the effect of keeping more homeless people out while at the same time turning California into kind of a home, you know, especially if we put on a roof. That's what I'm saying. Uh, make California a home, you guys. That was a very, he like gave me like a very professional white guy nod. He's like, yeah, we're harmless. You know, like, <laughs> it's a lie. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> yeah, I'm excited. I don't know why I'm leaning on this thing. I can stand on my own, you guys. I have barbecued flavored Lay's flavor in my mouth right now. I'm enjoying that. I, uh, I, I don't know. I moved here for in 98 from Cleveland. I don't like the weather. Uh... You know, I was from Cleveland. Nobody could understand me. I was like, fuck this fog. <laughs> People are like, you're a homophobe. And I was like, no, the fog. You know, it's just, don't like being misunderstood. Uh, I have a girlfriend. Uh, what's good about that? Let's see. I don't know. She, <laughs> she, well, she's vegan, so I had to sneak a jar of turkey in her house on Thanksgiving and eat it on the toilet. That was uh, not a traditional Thanksgiving meal, but I still I still like her. It's cool. I have a my my mother my mother's very PC. She won't say any N words at all. <laughs> she uh, she calls Ni she calls Niagara Falls N word falls and uh, <laughs> she calls Neiman Marcus N word Marcus and I and I'm just like mom. Everybody's gonna think you're talking about Marcus Garvey. That's not that's <laughs> <laughs> at, le at least the racist the racist in the crowd will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I just, seriously I'm happy to be here just about as happy as an autistic kid with a drum set made out of <laughs> made out of trains um, <laughs> oh my god I can write jokes you guys it's it's working <laughs> my car keeps getting broken into nine times in a year can you believe it uh, yeah people ask me what do they steal I was like less and less each time uh so I could take a penny, leave a car. But see, no, like in this neighborhood, if you leave your doors unlocked on your car trying to solve that problem, people will store their trash in your car. Like if you leave your doors unlocked, people will steal your doors. But I'm like, but seriously, like if you leave your doors unlocked, people will fuck in your car. Like I found, I found a used condom in my car. So I'm trying to uh, find a solution. And uh, I came up with an idea for an app. It's called Ryan.
It's going to go on air now because you are out of control. I don't concur. I'm meeting her in the lineup for a festival in Lisbon, Portugal. And I know most of the headlining bands Fuck you like. Portugal. Jose Gonzalez. Go on. Um, who else? Wolf Alice. Paz. Courtney Barnett. Uh, Father John Misty, the Chemical Brothers. Oh, the Pixies are going to be there too. See? There you go. So it's going to be a good, interesting lineup there. Weren't the Pixies here not too long ago? Yes. I think they were at the Fillmore or the Masonic, right? Yeah. Which is like right after Kim. Kim Deal was like, see ya, bitches, and mm-hmm. decided to get back together with the Breeders, her <laughs> other band. Mm-hmm. Most popular for their song, Cannon Uh-Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun to see them. Yeah, I liked did them you, a lot. Did you like that? I did like that. <laughs> did you like that? Uh-huh. You like that, baby? I enjoyed it. <laughs> I would totally do it again, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's... What do we have to, for them today, Isha? What do you got, Johnny? Johnny? Yeah, I'm just just go with it. Um, let's see. James <laughs> Bay, lessons learned from the School of Rock. Between awards shows and a brutal touring schedule, James Bay doesn't have much free time. But he sat down with Leonie Cooper to discuss the records that made the man. One year ago, James Bay was just another jobbing singer-songwriter, a man with a natty hat, killer cheekbones, and a dream. Fast forward to February 2016, and the 25-year-old from the sleepy market town of Hitchin, Hertfordshire, is one of the most recognizable faces in chart rock, a man whose number one album, Chaos and the Calm, released in March 2015, was last year's biggest-selling UK debut, a man who has fans and everyone from Pop's major players, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, to Rock's elder statesman, Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood and who's in contention for four Brits and three Grammys this month. It's a chilly winter morning in North London, and Bay might be battling serious jet lag. He's just back from L.A. and is off to Korea tomorrow. Oui. But he's working in the Drotty photography studio like a pro, a bag full of records flung over his shoulder, ready to wax. What? Ready to wax lyrical to enemy about the albums that changed his life. Pulled from his own collection, some are stolen from his folks, and many were brought, bought from Brighton record shops during his time there as a music student and sometime busker, yet all dog-eared and well-loved. Boasts the hallmarks of having been played over and over. Proudly, Bay opens the bag and tells all about the lessons learned from his ultimate top ten. And, of course, he's holding a Bowie record. He has Michael Jackson. Um, he's holding, I think, the Young Americans album. Mm-hmm. And let's see what else. Uh, the one that taught me to have balls, The Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. Fave song, Sweet Virginia, How It Changed My Life. It's one of my dad's favorites. It's about great guitar sounds, great riffs, and the amazing story about being recorded in Nelcott in the south of France where they didn't see the light of day for days on end. It gave me the confidence and the balls to be a bit more rock and roll each time I heard it. I'm in an oozy, bluesy rock and roll mood. The one that 
taught me about pop perfection. Michael Jackson, Off the Wall, 1979. Fave's song, Working Day and Night. How it changed my life. It's the music that reminds me of childhood, jumping around in front of the mirror, feeling like I could maybe be a pop star one day, but with no idea what it took. Off the Wall makes you want to get up and dance, so it's brilliant. Disco pop, and this is my mom's copy, but I've had it for about five years. She knows it's in safe hands. For listening when it's time to dance. Uh, let's see. A couple more. The one that taught me about the power of live performance. Bruce Springsteen and the Eves Street Band. Live 1975 to 85. Favorite song, Growing Up. How it changed my life. The best bit is from the Roxy in L.A. in 1978. His parents are there, and he talks about his mom wanted him to be a writer and his dad a lawyer. He says, I was never going to be either of those things, so tonight you'll just have to settle for rock and roll. For listening to one, playing to 75,000 people in your own living room. The one that taught me to be honest, Ryan Adams, Heartbreaker. Fave song, Oh, My Sweet Carolina, How It Changed My Life. This taught me to be bold and not give a shit. This is going to sound cheesy, but if you shut your eyes when you listen to it, it's like the guys are in the room. I've never wanted to be Mr. Intimate Quiet Songs on stage for a whole set, and I've never wanted to be loud guitars and rock music from start to finish. I want all the light and shade, like this album, for listening to when, when you need to tell it like it is. The one that taught me about being heavy metal, the Jeff Beck group, Beckola, 1969. Uh, fave song, Jailhouse Rock, uh, How It Changed My Life. I'd gone through listening to the Yardbirds and the Blues Breakers and the string of blue, British Blues guitar guys, and it led me to iconic guitarist Jeff Beck. I got it from a great shop called Resident Records in Brighton. There's a song called Plinth Water Down the Drain, which is some of the greatest, chunkiest, heaviest guitar ever for listening to when i'm really craving big fat classic guitar the one that taught me to break the rules feist metals is the album came out in 2011 favorite song undiscovered first how it changed my life this was me going a little further left in my taste i guess for someone who loves traditional songwriters feist gets a bit mad in places the formats and the layouts of the songs are all over the place in the best way possible. It was a big inspiration on my own album. There aren't any obvious likenesses, but it opened my mind up. For listening to when you're feeling all the feels. <laughs> oh, he's kind of covering everything, it seems. There's a couple more pages, but I could read those later. Actually, one more page, but I'll read that when you're done. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this person? He ha he's very... Um, You're just like in love with him already. Specific. <laughs> oh, me and my young men. Your young British man. Is he British? I think so. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, he grew up in Hertfordshire. It's north of London. Um, I have Iggy Pop in the news. Of course, he is going to be in the city. Yeah, on, on March 31st. There we go, that day. with... Josh Holm. Josh Holm. Uh, Pop says post-pop depression could be his final album. Quoting, to really make a real album, you really have to put everything into it. The energy is more limited now. Oh, poor baby. 
Uh, Iggy Pop and Josh Home of Queens of the Stone Age and Eagles of Death Metal will release their collaborative new album post-pop depression on March 18th via Loma Vista. Iggy sat down with Beats 1 Matt Wilkinson, and during the interview, he asked, how about what comes after this album? God, no question. His answer, I feel like I'm closing up after this. Uh, he didn't really entirely rule out the possibility of another record, but said his uh, gut instinct told him that it, this would probably be his last one. Uh, to really make a real album, you really have to put a lot of energy into it. The energy is more limited now, and I may in I may be surprised. You can watch an expert of the interview below via Noisy. Watch the entire interview about the album's creation here, and this is out of um, Pitchfork. Sorry, did I make it too short? <laughs> uh, and um, let's see. He also was interested in. This is the same guy, by the way, James Bay. <laughs> um, Abbey Road, the one that taught me to approach things differently. Favorite song, something. How it changed my life. Household names like the Beatles, people talk about them all the time, and that almost steers you away from them because you want to find something more individual. But this opened my mind to new approaches to writing and production for listening to when you're feeling a bit retro. Um, Joni Mitchell, this, oh yeah, the one that taught me about poetry, Court and Spark, 1974. Favorite song, Help Me. I didn't used to like Joni Mitchell. I couldn't get past the sound of her voice. But <laughs> one day I heard the emotion and the melodies on her album, Blue, and it touched me. Chord and Spark was the second step after Blue. She's so bold with her lyrics. She's the most natural poetic sing songwriter. I'm in a complex mood is when he likes to listen to her. And then, of course, the one that taught me not to care what anyone thinks, David Bowie, uh, Young Americans, which came out in 1975. Favorite songs are Fame and Young Americans, How It Changed My Life. Bowie has such an enormous catalog and so many incredible different sounds. I remember the first time I heard Young Americans. It's this joyous celebration, a big American soul sound by little skinny British David Bowie. He's been the catalyst for so many people to think, I don't have to care what anyone else thinks. I'm just going to be who I want to be. For listening to when a pretty disco dancing mood, you've got to be ready to get up and move. And then the last one is the one that taught me about spontaneity, Donny Hathaway, 1972. Favorite song, Jealous Guy. Donny dances around a melody. My older brother, Alex, who I played in bands with, got me into it when I was about 16. If I've taken anything from this album, it's vocal improv, going off the beaten track of the melody and just singing for the moment. For listening to when, it's an album I've always gone to when I don't want to listen to guitars. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, it got me interested in a couple different artists. And James Bay. And James Bay. <laughs> James Bay. 25, but... Hertfordshire, not a bad place to be from. <laughs> I have the Monkees. Uh, the Monkees announced new album, Good Times, featuring songs written by Rivers Cuomo, Noel Gallagher, Ben Gibbard, and more. They're also plotting a 50, um, 50th anniversary tour. This is again out of the pitchfork. 
It's been 50 years since the Monkees entered the public consciousness with their television program, The Monkees. The album will celebrate the milestone by releasing Good Times, their first album collection of new material since 1997's Justice. As Rolling Stone reports, it features songs penned by Weezer's Reavers Cuomo, Oasis No Gallagher, Death Cat for Cuties, Ben Gibbard, uh, Rogue Waves, Sack Rogue, and more. They've also announced a world tour. You can find the dates below, again, at pitchfork.com. Aside from the contributions from modern artists, Good Times will include songs written by the monkeys by, for the monkeys by artists like Neil Diamond, Carol King, Harry Nielsen. It was produced by Fountains of Wayne bassist Adam Schlinslinger. Schlinslinger. I don't know how to say that. And their first uh, without Davy Jones, who died in 2012. It's also slated for a June 10 release. Uh, the band's lineup is Mickey Dolenz and Peter Tork, founding oh. member of Michael Nesmith, who toured with Dolenz and Tork in, in 2014. It's not expected to participate. Speaking with Rolling Stone, Dolenz discussed the reasoning behind recurring modern musicians for the new record. Quoting, I'm not a big music listener outside of Frank Sinatra during Martini Hour. But I began doing research and realized that the whole indie rock scene is about, it's all about recapturing the 1960s jangly guitar sound of the mm. monkeys, among many other groups, of course. One reason we don't have a final track listing yet is because once we put the word out that all these, all these people said they wanted to get involved. Several of the songs on the record are still in progress. Dolan told Rolling Stone, we all agreed that the lyrics in Rivers Cuomo's song needed to be aged up a little bit. He said, it sounds like it's about a little girl and I'm 70 years old. So Rivers is rewriting the lyrics. <laughs> Come on, Rivers, get it together. <laughs> um, you can check out a bunch of tour dates um, all the way from Washington, D.C. to Kentucky and Ohio and Kansas and Oh, what are these places? San Francisco at the Warfield. They're going to be there on September 20th, Asia. So, yeah. But it's it only out. how many original members? Uh, two. One. Two. One. Two. One of them just died. But a bunch of uh, other... Rivers Cuomo might be there. Oh, oh, I see. So it's going to be a star-studded <laughs> star event. Yeah. it's uh, They're celebrating the 50th. They've been together for 50 years. Wow. Know. You know what I really liked? What? The TV show. That's what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the monkeys. I've yeah. never seen it. The TV. Did you ever see the TV show, Steve? Um, parts of it. Yeah. I, I don't know, because they always had it on, on repeat, un unfortunately. So. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed watching it. You know when you go home for the holidays or you have time off? That's when I... Kind what, of what's a, where and like on PBS? Oh, they had it when I was home like a year or two ago. Nick just, at night. Maybe it was t yeah. Maybe it was Nick at Night or TV oh. Land. One of those. So I was like, ah, I'm a kid again. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> but that's cool that they're. Oh, should YouTube it. I've never seen it. Yeah, I've never heard of it. It's really funny. It's you know, it's quintessential you know '60s material. Are they British? Yeah. Yeah. Well. The lead singer was, oh, yeah. But he's not. But I think the rest of them were Amer were American. American. Yeah. But right. I enjoy their music. They had some good songs. Yeah, I only know that. Uh, well, actually, yeah. They you probably know a lot of. A their lot songs. more than I think. Yeah. <laughs> 
they were they were there when it when it all started. Anyways, Steve Powell is here. How you doing tonight? Pretty good. This is my co-host Crystal. Hello. Uh, how you doing? And um, Steve, tell us a little bit more about your project. Um. Okay, so the well, first, thanks for having me. I appreciate. Yeah, it. no problem. Um, the last time I was here was with my last band, and that was in uh, I think 2012 on the Sugar Show. Oh, okay, Sugar. So, yeah, I love Sugar. Yeah. You're loud. I'm gonna turn you down, Isha. <laughs> <laughs> Got my lipstick. <laughs> so thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, the the Peasant Project, uh, Peasant Magic Project, uh, started at the end of 2012, uh, beginning of 2013, and. Um, it was uh, more of like a reaction, I guess, for a lot of loss I was dealing with in my life. Um, relationship, a band I was coming out of, a career change, an apartment I was losing. So a lot of uh, things were happening all at once. And um, it was kind of an epiphany moment I had where, you know, I thought, you know, my life kind of has turned to shit already. So I might as well try and uh, get some music out. Because I always, you know, hear a lot of uh, people say that a musician's life is shitty. So I was like, I'm already halfway there. <laughs> so I might as well start writing. And, and it's uh, that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it your own personal project? Or do you, do you collaborate with other artists? Um, so far, it's just been a personal um, project of mine. Um, and uh, I have recently reached out to an old band member, um, to start collaborating and take it live, hopefully, um, the you know the middle of this year, or later towards towards the end, if we can find a a decent drummer, you know, which always seems to be like the unicorn of a band. Oh. Um, Seriously, right? Yeah, drummers and bassists for some reason. You know, I actually play at both of those. Guitar is not my <laughs> yeah, but it's like you know. You'd be the perfect fill-in yeah, in that yeah. situation for, my own. <laughs> for your own band. Yeah, exactly. Do you end up playing um, more than one instrument on the recording? I do, yeah. So um, the recordings, uh, everything you hear is, is pretty much me. Um, the guitars, the the synths, the uh, the keys, things like that, the drums. Um, m- most of it is in the box, meaning it's just you know virtual instruments. And mm-hmm. um, I do have a, a, a synthesizer um, as well as a couple guitars and other pieces of gear. But um, for the most part, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just been myself. How would you describe your musical style? Um, you know, to be honest, I, I never really went... This project actually wasn't planned. It was just something that kind of just came about as, you know, kind of a, I don't know, some kind of crisis or something in my, my life, like I alluded to earlier. Um, and I actually just picked up a guitar, a guitar the last few years. Um, so I think it's more just... Um, a collection of my influences um, and I I didn't go into it with any any uh, I like bits and pieces from a lot of different genres I grew up uh, my parents listened to a lot of like Motown and R&B and mm-hmm. as well as like you know um, rock and roll Led Zeppelin Jimmy uh, the Beatles um, but I also you know I'm an 80s baby I'm in my 30s so I, I, I grew up also watching Rap City and Yo MTV raps and um, I like a lot of hip hop music and and uh, a, a lot of different genres, jazz. Um, so I think each album has its own vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some songs that lean towards more rock and other. It's funny to me because uh, 
I, I use CD Baby, which um, distributes for me uh, across different websites and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting f for me to see what the websites call the music. Um, like, for instance, some of the albums on Amazon, they call them uh, free jazz, uh, mm -hmm. which is like a compliment to me, but mm -hmm. I don't think it's that, you know, but... Um, so to answer your, your question, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. I let the, the listener decide. They'll have to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And where, what's the best website uh, or site where they can find out more about your music? So um, I have a SoundCloud. It's soundcloud.com backslash peasantmagic. Um, my main site is peasantmagic.net. Um, that will take you to uh, news, to a store, um, and we'll also link you to the SoundCloud and the CD Baby and iTunes. Um, CD Baby actually has all the tracks on there, um, the full track. So, you know, you can you can go on there and listen to it. Um, I think I'm on Spotify as well. My guitarist told me he was listening to me on, on Spotify. Um, so I'm out there. That's good. And where do you see yourself going with this project in the next year? The next year, um, well, this has been like, what, three or four years going. Um, I'm finishing up one last album. Um, it's going to be called Precursive. It's uh, an instrumental album. Um, and then I think I'm going to release a compilation of other instrumentals from my prior albums called Recursive. That'll be later at the end of the year. Um, but after, <clears throat> excuse me, I finish up this album I'm, I'm planning on taking it live locally if i can get get the guys you know i already got um my girlfriend my friend on board with keys and guitars we just need like i said to find a, a drummer and mm -hmm. if and when that comes we can you know take it on onto a bigger scale if if not you know we, I'm, I'm comfortable doing the acoustic coffee shop thing around town if you mm -hmm. know people are into it too so that seems to be a big thing here in san francisco yeah yeah <laughs> um do you want us to which CD, I guess, should we just... Um, so I gave you three. Antipath mm -hmm. is the most recent one that was released, um, I think, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about mm, half the tracks are instrumental, half are more traditional um, rock guitar music, I guess you'd, you'd call it. Um, so, you know, I, I always... Um, my favorite song f that I make is usually the one that I'm working on. And by the time I'm done with it, I hate it. <laughs> and oh. I have to give it maybe <laughs> give it a month or two, and then I'll come back to it and go, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, so. You have to give yourself some time yeah. in between. It's not like an immediate. Sure. It is while I'm working on it, but then, yeah. you know, by the time I'm done, it's just like, okay, I don't want to listen to that right now. You know? <laughs> I can't stand what I just did creatively. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, not so much that, but, you know, just from listening to it so many times. Yeah, and some people we talk to, sometimes it takes them, I think, years. Like, yeah. they hated it, and then they listen to it a year or two later, and then they remix it or rehash rehash um, the the different uh, instrumentation, that sort of thing, sure. which is always interesting to mm. me. But then if also if it's like, I don't know, like a, a hit song, I guess they always like end up changing it later on too, right? Mm. Like they kind of mix it up sure, and sure. need to add their own flair to it. I tr yeah, I try and avoid that, you know, revisionism, I guess you might call it, mm -hmm. um, which I have to be careful of because 
my first three or four albums I actually went back and remastered just for clarity um, and you know being a music and any kind of artist I guess you you can always find something to to look at and just go you know what I could have done that a little better a little bit but you know um, I think it's good too to to listen to things that are more just like I'm a big fan of John Frusciante just his, oh. his solo material mm-hmm. um, and some of his stuff like is just really raw you know and, and technically is like he missed some notes and and it's, some, it's kind of scratchy but it's just it's it's very powerful to it's me his, you know it's his style it's not always gonna be perfect <laughs> and but yeah and that trumps that trumps that though to me you know it's just it's me too. it's yeah his he's put himself out there mm-hmm. i pr- appreciate that you know yes good old john i haven't listened too much to his solo stuff i, I should hash into that oh it's great yeah he has a, a large body of work he just put out um i think a bunch of tracks for free on he made a soundcloud and uh I think he has a band camp i'm not sure but it's great stuff you know he's going through a, um a kind of an electronic uh, what does he call it uh, progressive synth pop <laughs> yeah that's what he's been doing the last i guess couple years but i, I really dig it yeah yeah it's good stuff yeah, yeah. Good stuff. all right so which track should we choose uh hmm. the age-old question maybe track six to start with I think that should be an instrumental all right
So tell us a little bit about the history behind that track and the songwriting part of it. Okay, so that track was called Moat. Um, that was written, I think, December, uh, November, December. Um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the way that one turned out. You know, um, I don't really go in uh, with a, you know, a lot of musicians that I, I look up to, they say that they have a whole idea formed in their head, and that, that's never really been the case for me. I don't, I mean, sometimes I have like a seed of, of something, a riff or, you know, like an emotion I'm trying to get across, but um, I, I also just like the idea of, of inspiration having kind of like a snowball effect. Um, and I, this is also the first time that I've, I've created stuff on my own, been like headed my project on my own, you know, because I've, I've been a bass player most of my life and then a drummer. And so I'm used to the collaborative part of like, you know, what if I just change this little note to, to your riff or something like that? Um, but I think that works for me when I'm writing songs by myself because I can just put the different hats on, you know, mm -hmm. and, and okay, uh, what, what should I do, like to myself, to what should I do to complement that drum line and kind of zone into that, that role for the, the time being, you know, and mm -hmm. then uh, hear how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Does it's like, this work? Does this not yeah, work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. And where do you think your inspiration uh, to become a musician comes from? Everyday life, or is there certain musicians that inspired you? There are certain musicians that have inspired me for sure. Um, I think Jimi Hendrix would probably come to mind first, um, and that is just from a human being aspect. You know, he just always seems like the friendliest guy in interviews and. His music has a purity to it, um, and his drummer is like a total badass, Mitch Mitchell. You know, um, and he—that was the first drummer that I had heard that really opened my my ears to, oh wow, I I really dig like good drums, you know, and and um, so that's he's a main inspiration for me. There's so I mean, you know, I think first and foremost I'm a fan of music, so I, I just I listen to as much as I can, and I'm I've been very um, fortunate, I guess, over the years to have different friends who listen to lots of different kinds of music. Um, Hip-hop uh, fans, death metal fans, uh, jazz jazz fans, all, all, all different friends that I... I went to School of the Arts in San Francisco, mm -hmm. the high school, and um, it was back when uh, it was behind State University, and then now they moved it to... Now it's the Ruth Asawa up at the uh, McAteer campus. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that, you know, because a lot of my friends that I made in high school were uh, musicians from all different walks, you know, and, and I kind of just absorbed, absorbed it all. And, 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 uh, and also just growing up, you know, my, my mom was a big fan of uh, a lot of music and I'd always hear her listening to, and my uncle and my father was a bass player. So it, okay. it's all been, I've been around it, you know, my whole life. That's great. Yeah. And um, if you are, if you eventually end up doing a tour or you're able to play a couple of shows, where, where do you see yourself going? Um, you know, I want to kind of, I have like kind of a pact with myself. I, I like to tell people I, I gave most of my 20s just working shitty jobs and, and, and making money for other people. And so I kind of... Sounds, <laughs> sounds like a lot of us, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I, you know, I kind of told myself when I turned 30, or maybe it was 31, uh, I got to give a few 
few years of my 30s to, to follow in my passion, you know, regardless of what happens, just because um, it's just time to do that, you know. Yeah. I just uh, I just look back on my life at certain points and, and say, all the work I've done, do I have anything to show for it? And unfortunately for me, most of the time the answer was no. I mean, I had like a nice TV and some a collection of video games, things like that, but... Um, so, you know, I, I think for me, this is like a, a, a labor of love, I guess, you know, and, and I want to devote more time as I'm able, you know, of course, um, if I'm in a situation where I'm able to spend time doing it, I'm going to, um, but like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, uh, get the live thing going in the next few months and see how that plays out and, you know, um, kind of have a resignation to it either way. I'm, you know, I'm not going to give up, but you know. It can be hard to find. Bands are like, to me, like uh, a re a super relationship, you know, because right. it's it's like with four or however many people, and it's and when I really think about it, to me, it's like kind of miraculous bands that make it, you know, mm -hmm. and that and because artists like there tends to be egos involved, you know, just oh, uh, yes. just part of that <laughs> just comes with the territory, you know. And, and so when I see like a successful band that just has gotten along through the years, it's like. I really admire that, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I know how, how hard it can be you know, mm -hmm. to find people that you click with and hang on to them, you know, so. Yeah, people. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Is there another song that you'd want us to hear? Um, sure, okay, so maybe track two from, from the Antipath album. Um, the song is called Syncretist. Oh, is it the same one? Same album, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a uh, more traditional uh, has some lyrics to it, so. Awesome. Yeah.
us uh, about that track. Uh, that song was called Syncretist. That's from the Antipath album. Um, track two. Uh, that song, hmm, how can I say? So the, the hook of that song is, I am the least of these, you did it unto me, which is, you know, what some pretty famous guy has said uh, in Christianity, <laughs> the head guy. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, I, I've had this thought recently, the album before Antipath was Speciesism, and that was like my, uh, my ode to uh, animals, because I've been on and off a of vegetarian um, my whole life, and... Uh, you know, I just, um, I just had the idea that what what is the least of these? You know, like when you when you think about that, or or any kind of a proverb or or philosophical uh, saying, you know, kind of to dig into it. So uh, when Jesus said, "I'm the least of these," you did it unto me. I kind of thought, you know, I mean, aren't animals pretty? small like we kind of don't really give them I mean of course when we say maybe we're talking about like a homeless guy or someone who's sick or but I mean for me like definitely animals are little guys that they can't even talk you know mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of where some of those lyrics came from um, the rest of them were uh, just had to do with uh, some mental blocks I was working through and, and um, emotions I was feeling at the time I think the lyrics to that song, if you can understand them, are um, more or less self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. You know, I try and make them as clear as possible, but, uh, you know, so. What would be your dream collaboration? Dream collaboration? Mm -hmm. You mean like bands to get together? Yeah, or just a well-known musician that you'd like to do a track with oh that I would like to do a track with if, well, if I can do a track with Prashani I think I'd probably have a heart attack and, you know, <laughs> he's a pretty cool. he's a pretty awesome dude yeah um, uh, you know there's so many musicians that I really like and respect um, I think a good mix would actually be for Shawnee and DeAnthony Parks who is the late drummer of the Mars Volta because oh. his style is is uh, I think it would fit really well with the stuff Rashani was doing. He does a lot of like break beats and um, drum and bass kind of stuff. And uh, Andy Anthony Parks is like that's totally his style. Um, other than that, I, if he if he couldn't get him, I don't think I'd, I'm sure someone could pull it off. But you know, there's some pretty demanding parts. So I think I I always when I when I hear that kind of stuff, I th I think I bet you that guy could do it or this person could do it, and mm -hmm. you know, try and imagine you know. Which um, jazz musician, or which, who would you say are some of the jazz greats that inspired you? Um, you know, I'm not that big of a jazz guy. Um, I had a, a really close friend who was, and he showed me, you know, Thelonious Monk, um, Coltrane. Um, he showed me a guy named Booker Little, uh, who had an album called Out, Out Front, I think, and that had like some of the, some of the most like amazing. Har complex harmonies I'd ever heard, you know, really s sad, but also really, um, really just like, it's really hard to describe, but, um, I guess, I guess when he was making that album, he was, he had like a terminal illness or something, so that, mm. that kind of colored, you know, the, the land, the backdrop of, of, but that, that was a really good one, um, you know, there's a lot of jazz, I, 
there's a lot of jazz artists. I went to school with um, Jazz Sawyer, who is actually a, a pretty pretty known jazz drummer now. Um, back in the '90s, he was he was a senior when I was a freshman. I played with him for a year. I'm I'm just pretty glad about that. Um, but those are the few that come to mind, just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we could listen to one or two more songs. Does that sound good? Oh uh, sure. Um, yeah. Which, which one? Let me see. I brought a couple other albums. Maybe um, if we can uh, do Stereo Gnostic. That's the third album. Uh, track three is one that I, I like a lot. It's called um, Earth Tones. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a more traditional kind of, I guess, rock rock song I got. I guess you'd call it. You know. Straight up rock and roll. Maybe like <laughs> a little folk, folky also. I don't know. There's a precursor.
that song has more of a hip-hop feel to it. A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, is there anything in particular that stands out in your mind behind the history of that song? Uh, the, t- the title of that song, Earth Tones, um, was a call to my old friend Tim, who always wore earth tones. He always <laughs> wore browns and, and dark greens. And uh, um, I, you know, I like the way that that one turned out. Again, it wasn't something that I had um, premeditated in the sense of like it wasn't all in my head, you know. But uh, I think it, sh- it shaped up pretty nicely and, and uh, had a decent guitar solo in there. So. Um, that's when I, I've been uh, rehearsing with my guitarist uh, a little bit, and I think it would translate well live. You know, um, instrumentation is more or less minimal, and uh, you know, it's a pretty straightforward song. Would you ever play like a venue in the Mission, like Amnesia or the Chapel? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I played in several bands over the years, local ones in San Francisco, and you know, uh, we did the Rocket Room when it was still the Rocket Room. Now oh, it's okay. Neck of the Woods, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the one on uh, Grant and Green we did um, in the in the North Beach, I guess? Yeah, just um, a couple of them. Yeah, so we, we've done a lot of, of, of the different smaller ones. Um, I think we, no, we didn't play at El Rio, but I'm just, I'm trying to recall all the different places that we, we played at. There's a lot of, there's a lot of nice venues in the city for, for local bands. What would be your ideal venue? Um, ideal venue. I don't know. The Fillmore might be nice. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen uh, bands and artists there before. Um, the Regency Ballroom is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I maybe the Great American Music Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. It's very intimate there. Mm-hmm. Literally, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the band's on stage, like, I feel like yeah, I'm level. right there. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome, and mm-hmm. it's not that hard to get in there unless it's a sold out show but yeah. it's not too it's accessible too. pricey yeah. yeah that's kind of the problem I think with venues here people are saying oh it's too expensive to go out mm-hmm. but then the artist I don't know how you feel about it but the artist who came in here last week was saying that it's people aren't going out enough and supporting these venues and giving them mm-hmm. the time and their money and that's why they're leaving yeah. how do you feel about it that's why the the, the ven- venues, venues are, are leaving, mm-hmm. and the culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I that most likely could be the, the the case. You know, I think it's important to support music, especially local artists. Um, there's there's hip hop guys that I that I'm a fan of from the Bay Area, and and I've I used to buy a lot of their CDs from Amoeba um, to support them, but also because I couldn't get them anywhere else. You know, which was kind of the cool thing I thought. You know, like. Mm-hmm because they were local it's like they dropped them down there themselves and and um i you know i'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't matter but uh, you know because of course i i I write music um i'm also i've i've downloaded a lot of stuff too and and you know i kind of have this thought that you know someday i'm gonna buy all the blank cds i have of my favorite artists i'm gonna be like you know buy them for real and you know, say I'm sorry with the check or something, you know. You know. We're not there yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> not <but>. yet. <laughs> Lucky, luckily, we still have places like Amiibo, which, by the way, are supposedly doing really well in terms mm. of 
um, I think online as well, LP sales, mm. vinyl sales. Yeah. Um, and I think books too. I was reading an article. It says it's like the highest, the, the profit margin is the highest it's ever been. Who really? knows? Maybe that's rigged. But I do feel like there's a s- still a certain section, you know, depending on your age and depending on what music you're interested in. Sure. LP is probably still the best way to to listen to it, unless you're able to get a really high quality audio file yeah. um, through the internet. But I agree. Yeah, you know, I'm a fan of of um albums just as a whole you know i think i think um my generation our generation is 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 very unique in that we're on the cusp of the information uh, age we were around before it growing up and we became adults as it as it blew up you know so mm-hmm. we kind of have seen both sides of it mm-hmm. um for me you know i and i and i think it affects the way music's written too nowadays you know like um, writing one song and making it as good as you can versus writing songs in context for an album if you have a concept or just that flow into each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, me personally, I like listening to albums, whole albums, you know, from start to finish. And yeah. it really, if it's done with that uh, intention, you can, it's kind of like all, an experience, you know. So I, I appreciate that about bands that do that artists that do that you know? like the Jimi Hendrix experience yeah exactly that's what I was thinking bold axis love mm-hmm. that's right yeah. San Francisco was pretty good at that yeah back in the day unfortunately in the news I'm sure you've been keeping up with some of the artists um, somebody from the Eagles passed away somebody from Jefferson Airplane passed away yeah. how do you feel about losing some of the legends in and music and Maurice White from Earth, Wind and Fire yes yeah. that was a that's a big, one. yeah. That's a big loss, you know. Um, it's sad, you know. I mean, it's in a way, it's like it's good for people to reflect on what they've done, you know, and to to be able to give their their body of work a listen. And I don't think people should have to die for that to happen, you know. Um, Unfortunately, it worked for David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. his. <laughs> Like his whole catalog or a majority. And and Tupac, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. he did that. uh, I always like that Dave Chappelle skit where he's like, he's singing the song in in the club where he's predicting the things as they're happening. And he's like, don't bump the table. (laughs) The record's going to skip. I told you. And they're like, what? He's like, I'm not alive. (laughs) Because he keeps, keeps releasing posthumous albums. Yeah. So that's interesting. But yeah. It's yeah, it's sad though. You know, I really like Earth, Wind, and Fire specifically. Also, I mean, they were uh, they're great. Like, if I had to think of one band that, uh, if someone asked me what is live music to you, I would point to that band. Mm-hmm. You know, just because like they had such a high energy, mm-hmm. and their music was just so uplifting, and mm-hmm. it was like you know had had love in it and a lot of soul, and and the other guys, the other guy was hitting like the triple high falsettos like breaking glasses you yeah. know he had an amazing voice you amazed know. by their yeah. you know just that whole part of it absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah. amazing but um well it was great to have you here and i think we can we can have time for one more song okay great um let's do uh the last album ignominal that's the fourth album and we'll do the closing track on that one it's a song called right on, hmm? right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> the last track, I think it's track 12, is called Positine. 
this album cover? Is this from your friend? That's, that's Arshansky, Alex Arshansky. Oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Why does his name sound so familiar? Um, I have to look him up. You know, I think he's made a name for himself. He has a huge body of work, and yeah. it's just really good. So That's interesting. Yeah. And what's his what's his era? Is he current, or? He's current, yeah. He's current, yeah, he okay. is. He is. Maybe he's been here.
was from which album? Ignominal. Ignominal? Ignominal. <laughs> Nominal and ignominy. <laughs> Tell us um, about the history of that track. Um, positing, the lyrics were written, I think, late at night at like maybe two or three in the morning. Um, it was all like a stream of conscious. Um, I think they were written in one, one go, maybe in like 20, 30 minutes um, on a little piece of like a cereal box or something, you know, it was just one of those moments where it's like the juices were flowing, you know, I was in the zone. <laughs> and it always, it always comes at like, you know, inopportune times where you're half asleep or, you know, you're going somewhere and you don't have a pen or, so I kind of just uh, try to obey it when it comes and okay, you know, this is it, you know, and yeah. and just write it out while it's there, you know, if I'm at the laundromat or <laughs> if I'm uh, getting up to use the bathroom at night or whatever, you know, just when it hits, just uh, kind of grab onto it, you know. Uh -huh. When you're literally in the moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Living your life. Well, hopefully um, things work out in terms of the band arrangement and yeah, your yeah. live tour plans. Sure. Um, and some of the album covers um, are great, and they're done by a colleague of yours, Alex, or... Alex Orchansky. Orchansky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or... or <laughs> Not gonna try. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to check that guy out and remind yeah. us um, your website again. Um, so you can listen to the songs on SoundCloud uh, backslash Peasant Magic, and also the main site is peasantmagic.net. Peasantmagic.net. Mm -hmm. And how did you come up with that particular name? Uh, it is a call to a John Carpenter movie uh, that I really like called Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. <laughs> it was uh, during during a wizard fight. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. But we've heard about it. We had a conversation about it. Oh yeah, it's a classic. With another band, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kurt Russell he does a great uh, has like a John Wayne kind of thing. It's it's fantastic. It's apparently an epic movie that we have not yet seen. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a it's a guy movie. You know, it's a, one of those low budget B movies, but it's 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 a lot of fun. Sometimes those are those are the those best, are the best ones. ones. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right. Well, I hope you have a lovely evening. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate and it. Stay tuned for more Mutiny Radio. I 
naughty boys who went to Berlin to learn how to be good. <laughs> or was I watching the Travel Channel? <laughs> Can't remember. <laughs> oh, it's so 20th century when a commercial gets a round of applause. <laughs> well, I remember one, one morning after a particularly mischievous night out, we both met up at a, a coffee bar that we used to frequent and discussed the uh, doings of the night before. And uh, Iggy, or Jim, related most extraordinary events. He said that he'd been to a punk club um, it was the anniversary of the building of the wall, that you must remember. And he went to a, a punk club that were holding an anniversary party. And they built an entirely accurate replica of the Berlin Wall. And at the stroke of midnight, 50 savage, demented punks leapt on this wall and tore it to pieces with their mouths and teeth and fists. Smash, smash. But he said it was the aftermath that was the most affecting because there were, after all this had happened, they demolished the wall. There were small groups of them standing around in the corners, pitifully crying, tears streaming down their faces. I thought that was an incredibly moving thing and a real memory of, of Berlin, the Berlin that I knew at the time anyway. This is a song that I wrote with Jim at around that time. Um, and I guess this one is also sort of about invasion and exploitation. Take it away, Mike. Too much when I'm at my child. 
against the 
kind of interesting towards the end <laughs> yeah because we were in it we were performers on that song <laughs> performance artists what song was that that by was the, the buzzcocks from a different kind of tension mm-hmm. and the song's called sitting round at home and i don't think they play that too often in their set list it's not part of their normal repertoire but i think sometimes they do um uh, before that was the pop group 
with Amnesty International Report, and I I um, posted about one of their songs because I was surprised that it was on Spotify. It literally it just added to their system, so I thought, oh, what the fuck? You know, the Super Bowl is going on, and yeah. you know, the future of the country is like All you know up in the air. In the air, and people are you know going crazy about the Super Bowl. So I thought, oh fuck it, I'll just post this. And then um, I guess Mark Stewart saw it, and he re- I'm following him and he's following me or whatever on Twitter so he re- he retweeted it so I was like oh so I want to do an interview <laughs> you know me always like trying yeah. to find a way in so that was awesome and the show was really good it was like I think it was the f- no they'd been to the states before but I think it was the first time they'd ever been to California they never did like a stateside tour as far as I can remember they'd always toured in Europe and the UK, but they never made it over here the first time around. Mm. But the show that I went to at Great American Music Hall was literally like days after I, I got laid off, so it was just kind of a way to get my my yayas out. So it was just good timing. But it was a really good show. I was I was really impressed, and I'm like, well, maybe it'll happen again, maybe not. Yeah. But I guess if you keep the mo- if you put the energy out there, keep the momentum up. You never know what could happen. Good things could happen. And uh, Echo and the Bunnymen from their first album, Crocodiles. Read it in books. That's a show I'll never forget. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was really good. And before that was The Beatles from Rubber Soul, Drive My Car. And um, Holly Cook from her self-titled debut album that very night and she hasn't been here in like over a year but maybe she'll come back uh the germs from their uh first album gi uh lexicon devil it's probably their most well-known song but i was telling um what was i telling you oh i wasn't sure how darby crash the lead singer I think he committed suicide, but I think it was also he was had AIDS, or he was HIV positive. From what I was reading about him, I read a, a book about the LA punk scene. We got the neutron bomb, yeah. but that was a long time ago. And I think there's a movie about the germs that came out a couple of years ago. I haven't seen it. But mm. they're kind of an interesting band. And as you know, Pat Smear kind of was involved with... Nirvana, and is still good friends with um, Dave Grohl, so he's tours with uh, the Foo Fighters. He's an original member of the Germs. And before that was at the Drive-In, who also um, just recently got back together, and they're going to be here in San Francisco pretty soon. I think they're it's going to be in June or very very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those bands from high school years. And for that was The Pretenders, who I'd love to see again. I got to see them once, but I'm like, eh, I kind of want to see them again just to, like, savor it more. Refresh. A refresher. Exactly, because it's like 10 years is a really long time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but they still, I think they still tour every now and then, every few mm-hmm. years. So she just did a solo show. Um, I think, it, no, it wasn't this December. It was, like, a year ago. She did, like, a solo thing at the... Masonic, but um, maybe the pretenders are possibly going to be doing something. And before that was David Bowie from when he did uh, VH1 Storytellers. 
uh, live in Manhattan, um, China girl, and he was giving a little backstory about, um, I guess when the Berlin Wall came came down and his, you know, because they were around like we're, we're kind of experiencing oh like how it was before you know, Apple pretty much like, and now this is what we're dealing with now. So for them it was like oh the Berlin Wall that was like. Yeah a big deal like things really changed after the Berlin Wall came down so that was interesting to hear that story and um, New Order who actually have a new album and are going to be touring again is definitely worth seeing they were promoting Peter's tour I was confused I was looking at the New Order page on Facebook but they were actually promoting Peter's tour as well so maybe they're Maybe it's like the PR for both. I don't know. Yeah. That would be weird too, actually. Yeah. I was weirded out by that, but maybe they will be coming to the Bay Area. But as of now, I think they're only, they only confirmed an LA date. Um, A couple of months from now, I forgot when. I think it's either March or something like that. But um, it'd be nice to see them again. I mean, I've already seen them a couple of times now, but I never get sick of them. Yeah. I never get sick of seeing Peter. That one I really enjoy because he's like, he's right up there, and it'd be <laughs> nice to have a, a chat with him mm-hmm. if I get lucky. And that's going to be in November. I think it's November fifth at the Fillmore, which I've never seen him at the Fillmore. He's always been at the Mezzanine. Yeah, it's going to be different. So um, it's going to be bigger. That's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. And before that was the Kinks from their. Uh, self-titled debut album I'm a lover not a fighter and oh my god it's 8 o'clock but I wanted to play one more song we have the time because we're going to see Johnny Marr at the end of the month and we're super pumped about this yes we are didn't we say that we weren't going to see him again that we didn't need to and then we I, did. And then well, I 